Well, welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast. Weather's getting colder here in the UK. Everyone's back from the beach and we are starting series three of the podcast. Um, We'll be having a number of guests coming in over the next few months. And uh, we're actually kicking off today with Merlin Piscatelli of Datasite, who is coming on the podcast very kindly to talk about the biopharma market and um, the frenzy of uh, M&A activity we've seen in this sector earlier in the year. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Merlin. Thank you, sir. Great to be here. Could we just start off um, with a quick summary of... um, you know, the activity we've been seeing recently and also what do you think do you think that's something that we're going to see carrying on is that something investors can expect to continue or or do you think that that's it may tail off yeah i mean we we sit at the center of the m&a universe as data site right we facilitate m&a transactions investments um in, including out licenses and things like that joint ventures that are happening across the biopharma industry and, and other industries. And yes, we've seen uh, it's been a extremely strong run, as you alluded to, over the last, I would say, really 24, 24 months and, and even before that, but obviously accelerated with COVID and all the attention around health and, and, and safety and well-being and all the things that are, are, are kind of came out of the pandemic, but also just received more attention. So we have seen a, a massive uptick in the in the in 2021, 20. Um, and then 22 to start the year, yes, uh, we have seen that, but we've actually started to see that tail off a bit. In a, uh, but I don't think that's related to the industry dynamics. It's much more related to the financial dynamics and, and really what's going on in the industry related to debt financing and, and actually getting deals done. So along with the rest of the M&A space, I think we've seen a little bit of a pause um, and, a, and a little bit of a take wait and see type approach and, and, and maybe take a little bit more time. Uh, on on some investment decisions that people are making. Do you anticipate from where you're sitting that we could see some more major acquisitions or or is the is the sector more likely to shift back to things like licensing deals and and research collaboration? I think we'll still see a steady flow of these larger acquisitions because you do have, you know, cash rich large corporates that are going to need to uh, find the, you know, the next drug, the next solution that is is out there. So I do think you'll see a continued level of them, but I don't think you'll see an outpaced level of large deals. I do think you'll start to see more digestible deals, which are going to be more joint ventures. They're going to be more out licensing and in licensing uh, because that's the dynamics of the financing that is out there. And again, probably more of a financing uh, question just because we do see in the markets across all M&A that larger transactions are having a much more difficult time getting the necessary financing to complete. Um, And that's just because of the cost of capital has ultimately changed the structure of deals. And so that needs to be, uh, I think, thought of and and structured into deals um, that wasn't necessarily the case over the last couple of years because it was a a flying hot market and financing was, was right there and it was ripe to get. So do you think that the fundamentally at the bottom of this story is the fact that we had COVID, we had a lot of focus. I mean, we certainly saw it in the listed biotech market with incredible valuations for some very small companies with no revenue streams, for example. Do you think that's really what's been driving it and that we're going to see more sort of realistic revenues coming in now and, and more companies having to just own up to realistic revenue, uh, realistic valuations as they, as they you know, struggle to increase their revenue? 
Yes, uh, 100%. Uh, I agree with your statement. I think we will see valuations come down. There will be a realization of these valuations. Those valuations are, you know, when you look at a business model and you look at um, getting to revenue, that's one side of the business model. But you're also going to have to look to, and I don't want to keep coming back to it, but the cost of capital obviously changes that business model because if you're paying twice or three times as much to uh, to borrow that money. But then I think the market ultimately starts to turn at some point where you're going to look at opportunistic large corporates or medium-sized corporates that have a very heavy balance sheet. They're going to see it as an opportunity at some point in, in I think, the near future, near to, to mid-future. Um, I think we've gone through a period of wait and see what the, is the market going to be. I don't think we have a full definition of where things are going in terms of the, the overall market dynamics. Uh, but we're starting to get a little bit of stability uh, in the markets and understanding that we're dealing with inflation. We're dealing with supply chain uh, issues and inflation. We have a, a, a war going on in, in one area of the world. We have some other macroeconomics things that are, are affecting um, the deal community. So but we're starting to get a better understanding of those. And I always have a line that uh, I think deal makers don't get a uh, don't get enough credit for being creative. But when markets you know, stop transacting, they get really creative because that's their livelihood. And so they really figure out ways to structure deals, the way you have valuations that come down, you have, you know, price, you, you connect better on, on what is the price of that. You have earnout clauses, you have different things that you can structure into a transaction uh, that is, is good on both sides of it, right? It's good for the seller uh, because the seller realizes they may not get that value, but I'm going to have to stay in here longer to make sure that we execute on that value. Uh, and then you have that on the buy side where they are now maybe being able to uh, drive more covenants, drive more structure in that deal instead of it just being a covenant light, cash only um, and in a very short close period, I think you'll start to see that um, play out in the marketplace. And we actually see it in our data. We start to see Projects are lasting longer um, in called the life sciences space, Barra Pharma. We see that they're lasting up to a month longer right now in due diligence. Why? Because it turning from more of a, a buyer's market than from a seller's market. So buyers can require more due diligence material. They can take more time in assessing that due diligence material. They can look at their business models, business plans, financing options, and they, they, they've now been given more time to do that where I think in last year's market, they were not given that time. It was you have 30 days, you have 60 days of exclusivity and you make a buying decision. And uh, because there was a you know, five or six, 10 people behind that one buyer that were ready to pounce on that uh, particular asset. So uh, overall dynamics changing and we can see that in the data here at DataSite. Do you think that there's um, an innovation deficit uh, amongst pharmaceutical companies at the moment? And if there is one, is that something that could impact deal activity do you mean big pharma or are you talking at the startup level or the the smaller scale level is that well for example we've seen i mean one of the obviously one of the, the big um reasons to to actually go out and acquire new companies is, is is that ip and uh we have seen deals of that nature being done the question is really whether whether that you can still see sufficient innovation going on in sort of the mid level of the market, and whether uh, or whether larger companies will have to start acquiring the more sort of smaller innovative fish that that are further down the further down the food chain. Yeah, I draw a correlation between the tech, pure tech industry, and the life sciences, biopharma industries. And what I mean by that is you've had so much financing that is readily available to start 
companies and to grow and scale companies at that end of the spectrum. And so obviously big biopharma companies have relied on that as a source of R&D, a source of innovation, because they can't do it all in-house. It's costly. It takes more time, a lot more red tape, where you'd rather see those, you know, keep a close eye on those companies that are growing and scaling, pay a premium, uh, but you've essentially outsourced your uh, development. We've seen that in the tech industry where they're not necessarily outsourcing their development, but that's been a way to scale uh, to get, you know, whether it's geography or product lines or to enhance the scale and speed of scale is to let this innovation happen, fund this innovation, um, either through venture arms of your companies, but also or let the venture capital community fund that um, and let them reap the benefits. But that's going to it's got a knock on effect for the big biopharma companies and, and, and same with the tech, I guess. That is continuing because we still see that and we see fund financing and fundraising happening on our platform. But I personally fear that in times of um, you know financial strain that will will hit the economy, that that's one area that we will not see as much funding going into the the smaller companies as needed to scale as quickly as they do, uh, and, and and potentially cut off some of that pipeline that big biopharma and biotech companies have essentially lived off of for, I would say, the last 10 years. Uh, that's been their, their main source of innovation. You know, you have your internal R&D, but there's been a big uh, reliance on M&A and partnerships to, to fund that, that innovation. And so I think it's a, a genuine fear right now if we, don't, if we see the levels of financing drop um, that that's going to be a concern. And my impression has been up until recently, and certainly I haven't seen any evidence to the contrary, that um, if you look at, say, the private equity venture space they still have an enormous amount of dry powder um, i talk to pe firms on a on a pretty regular basis and certainly there seems to be no fear at the moment about valuations but do you think that 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 might change and then we might see more pressure from them on on these sorts of prices yeah and i mean i i, I the same i i talk to uh private equity folks uh, on a daily basis and um there is tons. There's no doubt that there is tons of capital be, to be put to work. Um, the challenge right now is with the speed of change that's happened in uh, the financial markets, everybody's had to look a little bit internally. And that's at, at any company level. That's at a data site level. Uh, and I think at a private equity level, you're looking at a portfolio of companies that are going to have a range of performance and a range of impact that's hit them uh, in the last so many months. And, um, and I've heard some crazy stories of, of really going from very high levels of profitability to zero levels of profitability over a three-month period uh, based on, on, on the industries that they're in. And so with that inward-looking, I guess not opportunity, but forced inward-looking uh, that's going on in the economy right now, I think it just slows things down slightly because you have to know what's going on with your 7, 10, 25 portfolio companies and understand the impact of energy prices rising um, understand wage inflation, understand all the things that's hitting the market um, to know uh, what you're going to have to do with your portfolio company first to, to, to make sure that you execute on that and you get the return that, that, that you were, uh, your investment thesis uh, was based on. Uh, and then at the same time, you're looking outward because you need to be looking at what opportunities are there. And then at what price can I enter in those opportunities and what's the length of time uh, that I could get that return on? And I think those are moving parts that haven't move like this in, in a number of years. I've been in the business 16 plus years and I've been through financial crisis and, and multiple different um, crises that have that, that come up every so many years. 
this one has a lot of dynamics to it. And I think people are, are, are definitely thinking through a lot of processes. So when I talk to private equity, yes, we have money. Yes, we're looking at opportunities. Yes, we're spending a lot more time internally and a lot more time in our portfolio companies than we used to have to. Yes, we're having to get our operational excellence hats on and saying, how can we make sure that we operate this company through this period of time? And by just doing that, that surely just takes up a lot more time than they've had. So money's there. Deals will be done. M&A is uh, a dynamic environment that I think um, always happens. It, it becomes at the right price, um, the right valuation, the right deal structure. And so and I think we've gone through the, the major pause, in my opinion, we've gone through the major pause, which I think was like kind of the May, June, July, depending on what geography you're in, U.S. versus uh, Europe. But I think we'll start to see that unthawing in the fall. And then depending on the confidence level and, and where the markets move, midterm elections, all these other, again, external factors that could affect things, then we'll see, will it be a return to pace or will it be a return to kind of mid-levels of activity uh, with people putting money to work in private equity? I mean, this 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 sector, biopharma and, and, and also big pharma, has always been something that some investors have favored during periods of financial crisis, financial turbulence, because the rationale has always been that this is a sector that's always going to have a customer base at the end of the day, regardless of the strength of the recession. Um, you, you mentioned earlier on that you've seen a number of different financial crises evolve. Um, and do you think that this time it's different? Do you think that the, the biopharma sector is going to suffer more this time around? Or, or would you say that it'll that it'll weather the storm? I tend to agree with you. It's always got a customer base. I think what's unique about this crisis is the impact of, on that customer base in, in terms of their uh, ability to spend um, and, and, and you know having that disposable income, but obviously your health is not disposable. Um, so that will always take a share of your, uh, of your um, capital. So I think you have the right answer that it is a, a, a constant audience. Uh, you have a customer base. I think there will be transactions but I do think there is uh, an impact to the consumer now that has to be looked at and I think will impact uh, spending levels uh, at the at the current period. Right. And as we start to come through that, um, then I think you'll start to see transactions happen more because in that there is a long term view on all of this. Right. If you if you if a transaction made sense last year or you were looking at a potential opportunity at the beginning of this year, you still like that potential opportunity that you're still tracking that opportunity. You're just now looking at the structure of the transaction and saying, if I have to pay three times more for my debt on that transaction that I want to do, can I fund that internally off the balance sheet? Can, if I have to go to the financing markets, what impact does that have? And I think once we have that realization in terms of um, the, the spread really on, on the, the, the value, then again, we start to the, transact. Now, do we, escalate quickly into the high levels that we've been seeing. I think it's going to be a slower step change up, but I think the overall baseline of transactions that will happen in the investment into that industry um, will continue. I worry about both you know, the, the smaller end of the spectrum getting that financing, but I think the middle end of that spectrum continues to, to transact well. And then I think on the high end, these are deals that can get done, right? Because you know what you're getting at the high end. A lot of the stuff in the small to medium is projecting what you could get, right? It, it's, um, there's a, um, and there's, a, I think there's a difference with the stability of the, the big end, the risk that's on the low end, and then finding that balance within it, within the middle, m- middle of that. 
How would you say, I mean, looking at M&A activity at the moment and going forward in, in, the, in the biopharma sector, how, how, would that, how would you expect that to stack up against M&A activity in other sectors? We've seen something, uh, and again, our numbers, market leader in M&A doing about 14,000 transactions a year. Now you take that subsection of 14,000 transactions and you look at the ones that are, we categorize them as life sciences, which would be biopharma, biotech would all fall under that life sciences umbrella. And we see nearly a thousand of those 14,000 are, are related to that life science space. Uh, and that is down about 5% from where it was last year. Uh, so we don't see a huge drop off in that. These are completed transactions. Like we start probably these are completed and you are seeing a dip overall in the neighborhood. Again, if you look at Europe, Middle East and Africa as a, as a whole versus the US, we're seeing something like a 30% drop in announced transactions. So against the backdrop of 30%, less deals. Now you're looking at biopharma and you're saying out of that, that those 14,000, we're saying 1,000 to 1,200 of those are life science deals. We're seeing a, a decrease of only 5% in those transactions. So again, not a huge knock-on effect, but does that accelerate down when we start to get these announced deals in the fall or does that start to bump up? That's the, that's the question that everybody has, but we don't see, I would say we see less of them coming on the market this year compared to last year. Do you anticipate there'll be more cross-sector transactions as investors are looking to diversify their portfolios? I, I wouldn't be in a, in a place to comment on that, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if you're going to see a bunch more there. Um, I always feel that just from a personal investment and, and, and what I see in talking to people that diversification continues to be there and more also on the supply chain side of things than on um, maybe just medicine lines or or, or issues that you're solving. Uh, we do see a big push to nearshore, onshore, sure up the supply chain and look at different avenues to make sure that uh, you can weather different storms and different geopolitical things that may happen uh, in different parts of the world and different regime changes and different regulation changes, which some of those are always persistent within um, in the world, but some of them have changed, uh, as we all know, since kind of March 1st and since COVID and since some things going on uh, in China, obviously people have all had to look at that. And I think that's driving some investment. I think it will drive some M&A and that that's a level, it, it's a, I guess a different version of diversification, but I do think that's where we're seeing most attention being spent on diversification. It's really in the supply chain side of things versus um, within the, 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 the treatments or drugs that you're looking for. How important are activist investors in this space at the moment do you think we'll see more action from them or or are the market conditions at the moment just going to cause them to sit on the sidelines well i i mean in europe uh where i sit we've seen just much more uh shareholder activism than i've seen in, in 16 years right it was always a primarily a u.s thing uh and we've seen a, a massive increase in that uh in, in europe in the last 18 months uh two years and I think that continues. I think activism, uh, shareholder activism is here to stay. Uh, I think uh, Europe in general is a right market for it because there's a view of taking a position in a company and driving change. I think uh, these these hedge funds and others uh, see an opportunity within Europe and in the UK. Uh, they, they, they see that they can drive some change. They're getting a response now where before I think they took positions and were batted away quite easily. But now I think they're driving a response 
And so as soon as they get a response, I think they're going to continue to look for more responses because I think they see undervalued. I think they see companies that should be spun off. Uh, I think they see valuable assets hidden inside of big companies that they should be uh, either listed or sold. And so I think they'll continue to drive change. And I think uh, we're at the kind of forefront, I would say, in, in Europe the, uh, of shareholder activism. And a lot of our a lot of our readers on the armchair trader are are based in the UK, so they obviously want to, to hear a little bit about the the UK angle, the health of the UK economy. Does it does a recession in the UK have an impact on? It was likely to have an impact on the global biopharma M and A. It would be important, but I don't think it's going to have an impact on the biopharma space. I, I think um, it's an area that is continuously invested in. I think it's an area that the UK has a, a very strong position in. And I think it's an area that from a government perspective has to be invested in. Um, and I think uh, regulation, uh, it, from a regulation standpoint and from just a peer investment standpoint, if you have something that is a, um, a foundational piece of your economy and an area that you have a level of expertise um, and you have centers of excellence that are around the UK that has to be invested in from uh, from a government perspective. And I think that outside investors and uh, big biopharma will, will take advantage of that uh, area of excellence. And you have stability in terms of regulation and what you know, and what you get out of that. Um, so I don't see the recession overly impacting that. Uh, and I think with the new government, I think there's going to have to be some direct regulations and in seeking investment, direct foreign investment into some of these industries, such as biopharma, to continue to grow as an economy or set itself up to come out of a recession in a much more strong position uh, in that sector. One final question I wanted to ask you, and this this is really based off the conversations we've had with active fund managers in the biotech space and the biopharma space. And, and with them, there's obviously a lot of scrutiny on the approvals for drugs and treatments, uh, particularly with the F- FDA, and a lot hinges on that pipeline of new stuff coming through and um, its commercialization. How important is that at the moment in this sector? And I'm thinking here really in terms of the speed of approvals. Uh, do you see uh, these approvals, um, the rate of approvals, by regulators speeding up, slowing down, staying the same? And what sort of impact would that have on, on M&A activity, particularly uh, as far as the US is concerned? Yeah, I mean, I, in my previous life, I was um, right in that space in terms of scholarly published content and uh, copyright clearance of that. Uh, so um, uh, know a, a fair bit about that. And I think it's going to get better. Uh, it has to get better. I think, uh, believe it or not, I think COVID you know, proved out a number of things in terms of us as a society and how we could survive and uh, during lockdowns and things like that. But it also proved that if you put some meat behind it, uh, some weight behind it, you do have an opportunity to kind of change the approval cycles. And granted, pandemic is a whole nother lightning speed that had to be operated at. But it also, I think, proved out that the, the, they can review and they can uh, go into detail to find out what they need to find out to be have, increase the approval cycles and speed of that. Does it go to pandemic uh, lightning speed approvals? No, but I think that that just proved the the thesis that it can be done quicker. So I think that uh, they do increase. Is it substantial? Who knows? We all everybody would want it to be faster. Uh, they'd want that process to be improved. 
but there's a lot of benefits to it being a long process and a very uh, thought through process to make sure that um, you know societies are safe and, 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 and the impact of these medicines are are, are well thought through. So I, I don't ever think it's going to be a, a, an overly fast process, but I do think we'll see an increase in speed of approvals uh, just based on, again, a knock on effect of the pandemic was um, that they had to look at things quickly and had to get them to market quickly and had to get them approved quickly. So if they can do it then, then obviously they can shave some days, months, years off of the process uh, for uh, everyday type usage that we're going to need in the market. Within within the biopharma space, is there is there a particular area of research um, that that you would say is is that that's the area that's the hottest right now that that uh, acquirers of companies are most focused on? And the people that I talk to and, and really can't get down into the data at that level because the data that we have um, is, is really at a high level because the due diligence materials and, and, and kind of the focus areas of those. Uh, treatments and drugs uh, would be would be within the data, which is obviously we don't have access to that. Uh, but the people I talk to, uh, it, it really focuses in on cancer um, and, and the amount of investment and opportunity that is there within cancer that I think that that is where a lot of people are, are spending time, spending money and seeing and to be honest, seeing results. Right. And obviously, when you see results, then that 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 um, that all of a sudden brings in more investment and hopefully increases speed and then gives the result that um, the society in general would, would need. So that's the, that's the area that I, when I'm talking to people in, in private equity investment in some larger companies, that's the area of focus. But there's there's probably a, a ton of twos, threes and fours that are are also receiving heavy investment because there there's so much need out there. Thank you very much indeed, Merlin, for that. That's been really informative. And thanks. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.